Hello everybody, this is the fourth sermon in our series looking at the book of Exodus. Today we are in Exodus chapter 4, starting at verse 18 through to verse 23 of chapter 5. And the title of this sermon is, God never said life would be easy. C.H. Spurgeon is probably the most famous Baptist that has ever lived. By his death in 1892, he pastored the largest church in the world. The Metropolitan Tabernacle in London had five and a half thousand members. During his ministry, nearly 15,000 people came into membership, with nearly 11,000 of them new converts coming through baptism. His sermons went right around the world, being published in many languages, with more than half a million being sold in America alone by the time Spurgeon was 45. He opened an orphanage, a theological college, almshouses for the poor, published many books and commentaries, and was instrumental in planting a staggering 187 churches. The man was a phenomenon. All this was achieved in just 57 years. Clearly God had a very strong call on his life and worked through him in mighty ways. But what many people do not know about Spurgeon is just how tough his life was. He was born into poverty. His own parents could not afford to bring him up. At 19, when he moved from rural Cambridgeshire to metropolitan London to take up ministry at a well-known church, Spurgeon was hammered by the media. They wrote articles mocking him as a jumped-up youngster from the Fens, and these came complete with cruel cartoons. On arriving in the city, Spurgeon struggled to adjust to the environment. The neighbourhood of the church was one of grinding poverty, awful sanitation and thick clouds of pollution from local industry. Within less than a year, there was a great cholera epidemic which killed many of his congregation. A few years later, as the church was starting to grow, there was a terrible tragedy. A stampede occurred due to an overfull building and seven people died. Spurgeon collapsed on stage as he watched it happen in front of him, powerless to do anything about it. He was left with panic attacks and depression for the rest of his life. Alongside the poor mental health came physical ailments also. Spurgeon developed rheumatism, lumbago, sciatica and liver disease. The latter would eventually kill him while he was still relatively young. Now why do I tell you all this? Well, to make one very simple point. God never said life would be easy. Even those who have a very clear calling on their life encounter great trials. Sometimes it is those that are to face the worst obstacles that get the most obvious callings of all. Their sense of purpose is what enables them to keep going. The Bible is very honest about this. In his letter to the persecuted Christians in the early church, Peter wrote these words of encouragement. Dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you as though something strange was happening to you. But rejoice inasmuch as you participate in the sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. In other words, as followers of a crucified Messiah, how can we expect anything else?
It's not if we suffer, but when we suffer in life, we are to see it as a small part of what Jesus was prepared to go through for us. We are to accept it and know that on the other side of our ordeal, glory awaits, just as surely as the empty tomb followed the agony of the cross. Unfortunately, you won't hear this honesty from every church. Some people really believe that when they become Christians, wealth and success, blessing and bliss are sure to immediately follow. But that is simply not the case. God never said life would be easy. Instead, he promised to be with us in every challenge and give us all we need to make it through them. Then eventually, in the future kingdom of God, we will receive our full reward. We need to be prepared for trials in life. Then when they come, we won't lose our faith. Instead, we'll be able to continue making a difference, just like Spurgeon did. The context for our reading today is that Moses has just been called by God. Through the miracle of the burning bush, God has appeared to Moses and given him a privileged role to play. He is the one to lead God's people out of slavery in Egypt. But as soon as Moses receives this blessing from God, the challenges begin. Four times in the opening four verses, it mentions Moses needing to return to Egypt. He must leave the safety of Midian and enter the fray of Pharaoh's court. The repetition is deliberate. It's to leave us in no doubt as to just how daunting an undertaking this was for Moses. By this point in the story, Moses had lived in the community of Midian for 40 years. He had family, work and responsibility there. It truly become his home. But now Moses has to uproot everything. He has to take his wife and children from the only land they've ever lived in on a frightening journey into the unknown. Returning to Egypt also meant that Moses was going to have to face up to his past. Remember in chapter 2 he had fled Egypt because a death sentence hung above his head. Therefore, as Moses set out from the warm embrace of his father-in-law Jethro, he could not have known what reception he would get from the Egyptians. He did not even know what reception he'd get from the Jews. Having grown up in Pharaoh's palace, he was hardly one of them either. As the rubber hits the road for Moses, as his calling starts to be followed, the challenges immediately begin. He must have been so unsure about the future. Questions and doubts, anxieties and fears must have been racing round his mind. Of course, as our passage progressed, the challenges faced only intensified. The worries Moses set out with came to be fully materialised. In chapter 5, the great confrontation with Pharaoh begins. In Egyptian, Pharaoh means great house. A pharaoh was a leader of a great dynasty, the most politically powerful figure in the land. Pharaohs also believed themselves to be semi-divine. They were taught to see themselves as sons of Ra, the Egyptian god of the sun. With this background, it's no surprise that Pharaoh is ignorant of God and contemptuous of his people. 
He is arrogant and self-important. He's not willing to find out about the God of the Hebrews because he will brook no rival and admit no equal. No one will challenge his power or purposes. The ruthless egotism of Pharaoh is captured well in the response he makes in verse 2 as Moses asks him to allow the Israelites to leave. Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord that I should obey him and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord and I will not let Israel go. And from that moment, Pharaoh goes on the attack. He accuses the Israelites of being lazy and lying about their poor working conditions. He ramps up the oppressive workload thrust upon them until the Israelites lie about physically, mentally and emotionally broken. They're so beaten by their experience of violent slavery that they turn on Moses at the end of the chapter for making their lives even worse. Moses is now in a whole lot of trouble. He's uprooted his family and brought them from safety to a prison camp. He has angered Pharaoh and been rejected by the very people he came to help. The situation really could not get much worse. So again, we come back to the point. God never said life would be easy. Even though Moses was called in the most miraculous way, assuring him of God's presence in all that lay ahead, the challenges he faced were extreme. How many times he must have wanted to give up and hot-foot it back to the safety and ease of Midian. As Christians on Isla in 2021, not many of us have faced the same challenges that Moses did. But we have all known suffering and stress, difficulty and doubt. We have all had moments where we have thought it'd be much easier if we just packed it all in. If we gave up on faith and went back to living like we used to, living like everyone else around us. We've all faced figures like Pharaoh who have mocked our faith or dismissed it in an instant and gone on to make our lives uncomfortable. We do recognise this. So what I want us to do now is have another look at this passage, because within its great honesty about the reality of suffering also comes great advice. We get hints and tips on what to do and what not to do in response. Let us begin with the negative before moving on to the positive. What does this passage tell us we should not do when facing trouble in life? The first piece of advice I'd like us to concentrate on is this. When facing challenges in life, do not be naive. Instead, listen to the whole word of God. When Israel complained to Moses that he had only succeeded in making Pharaoh a worse overlord than he already was, they were speaking the truth. That was the reality. That was what had happened. Moses had asked Pharaoh to allow Israel to leave Pharaoh had responded by clamping down even harder. But it was also what the people should have expected to happen, and that wasn't the case. Why? Because they were naive. They hadn't listened properly. When Moses and Aaron first arrived back in Egypt, it says in verse 30 of chapter 4 that Aaron quickly set about telling the people everything God had said to Moses. 
Now, that included two very clear warnings that this was precisely the way Pharaoh would behave. Listen again, Exodus 3, 18 to 19. You and the elders are to go to the king of Egypt and say to him, The Lord, the God of the Hebrews, has met with us. Let us take a three-day journey into the wilderness to offer sacrifices to the Lord our God. But I know that the king of Egypt will not let you go unless a mighty hand compels him. Then again in 4.21, the Lord said to Moses, When you return to Egypt, see that you perform before Pharaoh all the wonders I have given you the power to do. But I will harden his heart so that he will not let the people go. Do you see, God always knew Pharaoh would refuse the request to let Israel go. God had made account for that and had warned Moses twice about it, so he was ready for it. But when this had been relayed to the people, they completely overlooked it. In many ways, they did not hear it at all. When Aaron announced to them that God had called Moses to lead the people out of Egypt, all they heard was that God was on the move and soon their suffering would be over. They immediately set about rejoicing and celebrating. They were taken away in a great wave of jubilation. But unfortunately, amongst all their triumphalism, they lost all sense of realism. They failed to hear the warnings and instructions also contained in God's word. And because of that, when Pharaoh started clamping down, they failed to respond appropriately. Rather than hunkering down and supporting one another, they started lashing out and attacking Moses. Still today, many Christians backslide away from God out of sheer naivety. They have failed to hear the warnings of scripture that even for the faithful, life will be hard. Therefore, when the trials come, they do not have the resources to deal with them. They just blame God for not looking after them and give up on him. We must make sure we listen to the whole word of God, the nice cushy bits and the challenging demanding bits. God has put all that we need in his word, so we must make sure we read all of it. We must not be naive about life, but expect challenges to come. Then in God's strength, we'll be ready for them. The second thing we must not do in time of trial is linked to the first. We must not be naive about God's word and we must not disobey it either. We must hear all of God's instructions and follow them. We must put them into practice, otherwise they're no help to us. At the end of chapter 4, we get this very strange account where Moses is nearly struck dead by God. But his life is saved by Zipporah, his wife, acting out a plea on his behalf. There is so much we don't know about this episode, so we won't spend long on it. But one thing seems clear. Moses has disobeyed God. He has not been circumcised. Back in Genesis, God commanded his people to get circumcised. It was the lasting sign of his covenant promise to them. And in return, it marked them out as his people, the ones who sought to live their lives for him. By not getting circumcised, Moses seems to be acting as if he can fix Israel's problems in Egypt without God. He can go it alone, do it his way. He has no need of help or instruction. Of course, that is nonsense. 
Moses is going to need to utterly depend on God through all that lies ahead of him. So he needs to start following God's instruction right now, before the challenges really begin. Otherwise, there's no hope for him or Israel either. Fortunately, Zipporah sees this and by her actions, Moses is saved and learns the lesson he needs to. Still today, we need to be reminded of this. We must not openly and continually disobey God. We must not ignore the instructions he has given us. Yes, we will make mistakes and they can be quickly forgiven, but we must ensure we are setting out to follow God as closely as we can. When things get tough in life, we can be tempted to turn inwards, rely on our own resources, forge our own way through. That is the worst thing we can do. We must keep reading God's word and following it through, living out the calling he has placed upon us with humility and dependence. So when the inevitable challenges come in life, here are two things we must not do. We must not be naive. We should instead heed all of God's word. And we must not disobey God's instruction. That will only make matters worse. That now said, let us turn to the positive the good things we should be doing that will really help us in a crisis. When we as Christians come across trouble and difficulty, there are three things this passage shows us we should do. To help us recall them, they all begin with the letter R. We are to remember, remain and return. First of all, we are to remember who we are. We are God's people and as such, he has made great promises to us. We are to remember these promises just as we are to remember all the things he has done to help us in the past. This key lesson of remembering comes several times in the passage. As Moses set out on his return to Egypt in verse 20, what was it that he carried with him? It was his staff. The staff that a few verses previously God had turned into a snake and then transformed back again. A great demonstration of his power and that he was going to be with Moses. As Moses walked, he must have clutched that staff tightly. It reminded him of his calling and the promises God had made. Then in verse 22 of chapter 4, God reminds Moses of how he sees Israel. They are his firstborn son. Forget Pharaoh being the supposed son of Ra, the idolatrous Egyptian god of the sun. All of Israel were God's children. The one God who created heaven and earth and everything in them loved them. And the fact that God saw Israel as his firstborn son is a comment about blessing. In ancient culture, the firstborn son received a double portion of the father's inheritance. Israel are God's people of blessing. He loves them deeply and will always look after them. He will constantly work for their benefit. It's through blessing them that God plans to go on and bless all the world. Moses is to remember these things when the going gets tough. He is to remember his calling. He is to remember the promises God made to him. He is to remember how God has always looked after his people in the past. He and all of Israel were to hold on to the fact that they were cherished by God. They were to remember who they were. And still today, this is very good advice for a time of crisis. We are to remember who we are. 
We are God's people, his children. We are those he loved enough to send his son to die for us. If he was prepared to go through with that, he will not let us down now. We've had promises made to us that God will be with us through thick and thin by his spirit and one day his kingdom will come in full. As we look through the history books of the church across the world, the church here on Isla, even the history of our own lives, we see that God has never let his people down. He's always provided what they needed. He will not stop now. When trouble comes then, we are to make the effort to remember. That is why worship and regularly taking communion and Bible reading and prayer journaling are such helpful practices. They help us remember. The second positive lesson is that we are to remain. We are to remain within God's people. When the going gets tough, so often we're tempted to drift away from church, to struggle on alone. We are so afraid of bearing our problems to others, of revealing our vulnerability, that we isolate ourselves. This is a bad idea. In this story, Moses comes to see he is going to have to depend on God's people, those God had placed around him. It was Zipporah, his wife, who stepped in and saved his life when Moses was about to be struck down. She could see what Moses could not see. She gave the accountability and instruction he needed. She acted out a prayer on his behalf. When Moses arrived in Egypt, consumed by fear and insecurity, it was his brother Aaron who spoke up for him. Truly, Moses would not have got anywhere if he tried to go it alone. When the trouble came, he had to rely all the more on those around him. He had to remain within God's people. And so do we today. Finally, when things got really tough and his own people started lashing out against him, what did Moses do? Well, verse 22 of chapter 5 makes it plain. Moses returned to the Lord and said, Why, Lord, have you brought trouble on his people? Is this why you sent me? When things got tough, Moses returned to the Lord in prayer. Not a prim, pretty, polite prayer, but a groaning lament, packed full of honesty and feeling. Moses took the situation and all the difficulty he was experiencing to God, and he kept returning to God with it until God did something to help him. Moses was persistent in his prayer, and we're certainly going to see God answer it in mighty ways over the coming weeks. Still today, this is exactly what we should do in a time of crisis. We are to return to God in prayer again and again, getting others to pray with us if necessary. Today then we have learned an important lesson. God never said life would be easy, and boy do we know the truth of that in this pandemic. We're not to be naive about the trials we will face in life, otherwise we will falter under them. God has given us the instruction we need to get through them. We must not disobey it. When times are hard, we are to hang on to God, and we are to do that through these three steps. We are to remember who God is, remember who we are, and the promises he has made. We are to remain within God's people and allow them to help us. And we're to return again and again to God in prayer. 
If we do these things, we will make it through the challenges we face and experience God's glory on the other side. Let me finish with some words of encouragement, again from Peter's writing to the persecuted early church. When you suffer, humble yourselves under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. And the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm and steadfast. To him be the power for ever and ever. Amen.